Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. My guest today is Natalie Capel, and we discuss writing titles. Um, we discussed basically just how to write titles for the entire episode. So this is one of those episodes that's really kind of targeting uh, a single topic and going as far you know into the topic as I can. We basically walk through the titles of Natalie's books. Um, and so all those books that we mention uh, are great. And I've linked to all of them in the show notes uh, for this episode. So that's at jonathanball.com slash seven. So go to jonathanpaul.com slash seven for more information about, you know, the things that we discussed in this interview. Um, and uh, I really recommend, if you have to pick one book of Natalie's, uh, I weirdly recommend the book, uh, How I Came to Haunt My Parents, which nobody has read. You know, I may be the only person who, you know, it, you know is really flogging that book, but uh, it's an outstanding book. It's probably one of the best uh, collections of short fiction published in Canada. Uh, you know, I would straight up say in Canadian history, uh, How I Came to Haunt My Parents is probably in my top 10 of you know, poetry or short, short fiction collections. Uh, but you know, it was kind of an e-book only uh, publication. So it's really under the radar. I didn't really get the reviews. I think, I can't remember if we mentioned it in this interview or not, um, but uh, that book is outstanding. Uh, hopefully it makes its way into print uh, or the material inside of it, you know, makes its way into print one day because it's really just a phenomenal book. Um, so if you can get a hold of that book, I highly recommend it. I don't know if it's actually still available or if it's gone out of print. I'm not sure uh, because I haven't looked it up recently. I bought it the minute it came out, but, um, and I'd read it in draft before that. Um, but, you know, phenomenal book. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, outside of that book, if you want to just, you know, find, I guess, a more easy to track down uh, book of Natalie's, uh, I would recommend In Calamity's Wake, uh, which we talk a little bit about. Um, really, all Natalie's work is excellent, but In Calamity's Wake is probably um, the, her best, uh, you know, book in my opinion anyway. So uh, the other thing, of course, you could check out is Natalie's new book, uh, which is going to be coming out uh, shortly. It might be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, and if I remember right, it's called Love in the Cthulhu Scene. Uh, so that is the name of it right now, but maybe by the time it comes out, it'll have a different name. But Love in the Cthulhu Scene uh, is really interesting. Great poetry book coming out with Benali Capel. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, by the time this podcast is something you can get around to listening to, um, Again, the show notes for this episode are at jonathanball.com slash seven. There's also a video that goes along uh, with this episode. It's a bit of an older interview, although it's pretty up to date in various ways. Uh, and it is uh, got a Skype video that you can kind of watch as well, a talking heads accompanying a Skype video. So if you want to see that, go to jonathanball.com slash seven. Um, and here's Natalie Cable. So... Hello, Natalie Capel. Thanks so much uh, for talking to me. Um, uh, I want to talk to you about titles and writing titles. Okay. Because I get a lot of questions about writing titles. 
know, what are some ways to do it? How do you tell what's a good title or a bad title and so on and so forth? And I don't have, you know, it's hard sometimes to talk about something really specific like that. The best uh, thing I've actually seen, like in a writing textbook, uh, is something Fred Stenson has a book called uh, Thing Famed or Imagined. And he talks really briefly about writing titles. Uh, and he more or less just says that the best title in his mind is something that has a different meaning when you, after you've read the story. So like it means one thing and then you read the story, then it means a different thing. And, you know, I, I think that's something, I mean, that makes sense. And we can talk about that a little later, but uh, it's, it's also at the same time, like a very narrow response, but it's still the best response I've seen in these books. So uh, I want to talk to somebody about really specifically about writing titles and you popped into my head because uh, one of my books, Clockfire, mm-hmm. um, you were kind of instrumental in the title for that. I had this, working title um, of you know clock hyphen fire because I just had this play with a clock and some fire I had no idea for the book what I would do as a title and so um, what I ended up doing was writing a you you, I don't know if you remember the details of this but you were very I made a mistake writing a letter of reference for you right I made it (laughs) well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a mistake in the first place by writing a letter of reference for you. <laughs> within that letter. <laughs> exactly. So within the letter, you had, uh, you basically had taken the hyphen out and combined Clockfire into one word. Yeah. Um, and I had to scramble to like rewrite all my application materials because you, you were kind of given this letter. Uh, and I, in the course of doing that, I realized, oh, Clockfire actually is a good title. If I just mm-hmm. were to take the hyphen out and combine it in one word, like Natalie's done. So the kind of, you know, Technically, you had made an error in like writing my title, but really, what you had done was well, fix my title. <laughs> I misread it because I thought that was the title, and yeah. I think that's my best title. It's an excellent title, really. You know, <laughs> and, it, and it not only did I use it as the book title, like your your kind of version of it, but I also kind of started calling the plays clock fires, uh, like yeah. because they were kind of these impossible plays. They weren't really poems. They weren't really plays. So I just started calling them clock fires, and I decided it was a good name for even. A kind of imaginary genre so yeah i really credit you with that you know uh, that title itself you know and, and so uh, you seem like a good person to talk to about titles um so i thought maybe we just would kind of walk through your titles uh and so <laughs> if you don't mind so here's like sure. natalie's first book uh short stories the heart is yeah. its own reason um and so i want to kind of ask a couple things about this title one is it's a short story book, and so in the sh- book you have a short story with that title. Yeah. So I want to ask you one, you know, about your process. If you can remember, like writing this title, uh, and two, why you chose the title of one of the stories as a book title, and why that story uh, in particular. So. Yeah, sure. That book, t- that title is a riff off of Pascal's um, uh, statement: "The heart." Um, has its own reasons, which reason knows nothing of, which has since been ruined by Woody Allen. But um, that particular story, I think, wasn't so uh, important, except that it might have been the story where I kind of got my feet in terms of what I wanted to do with the project overall. And I started to write the short stories at that point um, towards the book and the book was going to be a collection of short stories based on case studies taken from abnormal psychology and kind of imagining these people and um and how people with things like munchausen syndrome and you know who would love them and what would constitute a bad day and that kind of thing and so the title itself um 
is a kind of like overview of, of um, a kind of desired reception, a kind of openness that I desired for these characters. Okay, so on one hand, you're kind of alluding to it taking off on this quote. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, it's sort of summarizing the, I mean, so it's also something the story is about. Uh, yeah. And then it's also, for you, it started summarizing the book concept, and you, you said it was kind of connected to also to when you started thinking of it as a book, or yeah. as a project, rather than these stories you were writing. Uh, so is that typical for you? Like, later on, you did this, uh, another book of short stories, which I don't have, because it's, it's only in ebook form, but, yeah. I mean, I have it, but I can't really show it to you. My Parents. Yes, How to ha How I Came to Haunt My Parents, which is, is a really excellent title. I mean, I, it's one probably my favorite of your titles, actually. Uh, yeah. Was th was that a similar thing, or was that a different process for that short story book? No, that was totally different. I just really liked that title the best of all the titles, right? Sure. <laughs> and it was a more kind of um, playful title, I think. And the book itself explores a bunch of different genres of short stories, and so I wanted a title that um, would be kind of uh, evocative, and people would would not necessarily know what to expect. That's my only ghost story, how I came to haunt my parents. So, yeah. So, um, so there you, you've got totally different concerns, but you're still taking a short story title and using it as a short story book title. Have, had you yeah. considered at any point for either of those books coming up with a different title that wasn't, like not duplicating a short story title in that way, but having a, I guess you'd say, an original title um, in the sense of like it doesn't come from a different yeah. story? Like, had you thought about that and discarded it, or...? Yes, but not as much with the books of short stories as with um, uh, the novels. That happens much more often with the novels. I go through, like, probably a half a dozen to a dozen titles with novels. And usually I'll have a working title, which is just kind of t to remind me of what it's supposed to be about. So that, um, so with The Plight of Happy People in an Ordinary World, yeah. that was never meant to be the title. Yeah, the first novel. <laughs> that was never going to be the title. It was just that um, it was this line that I would repeat to myself so that I could remember what this, the stupid thing was supposed to be about. Right? <laughs> and, um, and then I thought it would be called something like Nadia and Irma or something that was more reminiscent of magic realism because I was working with a lot of, of surrealist uh, films at the time and things like that. But... Um, in the end, that line was the more memorable. And it's funny because I was also resisting the one-word titles at the time. Like when The Heart Is Its Own Reason came out, that was an insomniac book. And I think there were, like, uh, with poetry and fiction, uh, Mike from, Mike O'Connor from Insomniac had, I think, something like six or eight books out that season. And all but mine were one-word titles. Mm. And the authors, the other authors joked that they all had to give up a word so that I could have my title. <laughs> And what ends up happening is that people have short forms for it as you're publishing it. But um, I don't know. In many ways, I've found that the title that's like a sentence is the one that people find more, um, they find it easier to remember in a way because it contains a kind of concept. Sure. So like with this book, so, so you're probably about people in the ordinary world. So you're saying this was a working title that became yeah. a real title. That's right. Um, so when did that happen? Like, What's the moment where you kind of decide the working title is the title? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. When does it shift from being this tentative thing to this, I guess, a permanent thing? Well, I sit down and brainstorm on titles. I look through for 
catchy lines or I try and think about like just sort of write out different ideas that I'm that are central to the texts right so that I can imagine um, different ways that it can be called and then um, when I do have a tagline like that that helps me stay on target um, I'll often ask the publisher do you think you know what do you think of this list of titles um, and the publisher will have a sense of <clears throat> what they think is most marketable as well um, and I don't know like it, I'm not terribly dear about the titles like I don't think I would get too angry if the publisher said no but um, like In Calamity's Wake which is the most recent novel that of course is a, is a novel about um, a young woman who's searching for her adoptive mother or her her biological mother. She's she was adopted out and she's and she's searching for her biological mother who was the infamous frontiers woman Calamity Jane. And so that word Calamity is so um, um, so unusual and so kind of intense and clanging that I certainly wanted that in. But <clears throat> for a while I thought should it be. Uh, Calamity's Wake, and then I thought, no, people will think it's too much like uh, Finnegan's Wake, or, and then I thought, um, I think it was called, oh, it was called Calamity at one point. Uh, it was called Calamity at one point, yeah. and sometimes it had exclamation marks, and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then while I was working on the book, um, uh, my, my cousin was murdered, and so the title refers for me both to working on the book in the wake of that calamity and to all of the people who we encounter who've come in touch with Calamity Jane and how this kind of like momentous figure swirling through history leaves a kind of wake of change um, and how it's through her that, that uh, Miette, her daughter, encounters all these other really interesting people who've been forgotten by history. Sure, and that book, you know, again, in Clowney's Way. Yeah. I remember when you were writing this book, Yeah. because um, uh, you and I were going back and forth about different things, and you let me see some early versions and stuff, and one yeah. thing that I remember you asked me at one point was, like, do you have an idea for this title? And I I, I did not. <laughs> like, yeah, I I, like you, I was like, you know, it's got to have calamity in it, maybe just calamity, but then, yeah. and, and there is a niceness about calamity, because it does have, of course, the re, you know, literally refers to her name, or her, yeah. her adopted um, her moniker. Uh, yeah. But it also has, you know, of course, a secondary meaning of, you know, a, tr a tremendous trauma or a tragedy uh, of, you know, epic proportions. Um, so I was like, I remember like thinking, it's not a bad title, but there did seem to be something about it that I don't know what it was. It didn't seem satisfactory somehow. And I know that you felt the same way, and I, yeah. I couldn't really come up with a better title. I wish I had, you know, come up with this one. Because I like this title a lot. Like, I think In Calamity's Wake really works. And you're right, there's something about the word in, you know, uh, like, Calamity doesn't quite do it, although it's not a bad title. Uh, in Calamity, Calamity's Wake, uh, as yeah. you say, it, it kind of, it's not a bad title, but it, it does have there's these associations. Movement. There's a sense of movement to In Calamity's Wake. You're in the wake. You're being yeah. moved along with this with this story, ideally, right? Or you're or you're encountering people who are being moved along in the in the wake of of something um, that's almost preposterous. Like calamity is a funny word as well. It's a sort of like yeah. you know it's like you can imagine um, you know symbols crashing. Right? <laughs> or, yeah, it's gonna be, you know it is the, 
it is interesting the difference like that one word makes. You know, so you're in it. So it's locating you as a reader. It's locating, yeah. I guess, you'd say the characters in a sense. They're all kind of in the wake of this figure somehow. Um, it is interesting, like the difference it makes, and it doesn't have that connection to Joyce now that you might yeah. otherwise, uh, yeah, like see as an illusion somehow. Like, and the frontier is a calamity as well, right? Mm-hmm. The sort of the settling of the of the West is a calamity. It's certainly a um, a serious calamity for Indigenous people, and that comes up over and over again in the book. And the um, the lives of the figures in the book are kind of perpetually in upheaval because they're trying to start a new world. Um, yeah, and so what? what um... But, but what makes Calamity unsatisfactory as a working title? Like, that's the thing I want to get at. Like, where is it in the working title? Like, because you have, like, in this case, you've got a working title, and you it's unsatisfactory, and you move towards a, let's call it a real title. Yeah. In this case, you've got a working title, and then you you decide it is satisfactory. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, what I want to get is, like, like, what is the functional difference? Like, if you're a writer sitting there looking at your title, yeah. Like, how do you make this decision, you know, this title does work uh, versus this title doesn't? Like, what are some techniques you could do or, or some tricks or, like, advice you might give to somebody who's, th- again, they've got maybe this working title and they don't really know uh, whether it works, I guess mm-hmm. say. Well, you ask a lot of people. And you try writing it out and, um, you know, I sit down and sort of say, well, what are all the things that this, that this title potentially signals? Like, as you say, Fred Stenson described the title as, as supposedly having some meaning. I think a title has to add something to, um, to the story to some degree, right? So that it, it gives you um, potentially a way of reading a story, but also... Um, it's a kind of um, it's a kind of beacon, right, for the person who might want to read this story. Um, so uh, the problem I have with one-word titles is that they, they're so often repeated, right? Sure. You, you find, there's like however many versions of a book called Hunger. One of them is really good, <laughs> and it's by New Hansen, but there are lots of books called Hunger, um, and. I think that the the longer titles can contain ideas, and I like that because I I tend to write towards ideas. So, like, I'll say, because you actually helped me title one book, which was the Semiconducting Dictionary, Our Strindberg, right? So I knew I, I wanted Strindberg. <laughs> I didn't work on the book, but I don't remember. No, well, because I didn't tell you. Right? No, okay. So we were having a conversation about titles, actually, and you said... Um, Sometimes I think that the title shouldn't have anything to do with the book. Oh, yeah. That um, if, you, if you find a title and you really like it, you should just put it on any book, right? And then <laughs> let the readers work it out. Sure. <laughs> right? And I thought to myself, I'd had this title for a long time, The Semiconducting Dictionary. And I loved that title, but I didn't have a book for it. So I thought of a bunch of different books that I could write for this title. But I had a book, and it didn't have a title. Right, and then the, that one had been like it had been imaginary person. It had been Strindberg, sometimes with exclamation marks. It had been um, I 
it had been breaking the eye, it had been all these different things. And then I thought, you know, I love this title, The Semiconducting Dictionary. And um, I think that that could refer to this book, because it could refer to pretty much any book, right? A book. <laughs> so, it's a nice well, metaphor for a book. You know, it's, here's all these words, yet there's some current passing through them. Uh, exactly. And this thing that's, you know, pulling through them. And in this case, Strindberg, of course, is the thing you're pulling through yes. uh, your sort of imagination, imaginary biography, I guess you'd say. Yeah, and the book becomes a kind of world of its own, right? With its own laws. And um, in this case, as you say, uh, a kind of shared Strindberg, a kind of shared um, public figure is the, is the kind of um, fluctuating current that, that moves through that book. So, um, so that's how I came to that title. Um, so in some ways it's just like, it's a personal negotiation. When it starts to mean something to you, right? <laughs> and then, then it matters, right? Then it, um, uh, then you can, um, kind of see the book through it. And I think you need to be able to, uh, see the book through it. Like the problem is that there are so many titles that are just like two people's names or one person's name. And then you're like, well, I don't know. It was a woman's name. Maybe it was Veronica. Maybe it was Lolita. Maybe it was, right? And those are great books. But um, uh, I think that later on it becomes harder to remember. Sure. As yeah. like Calamity Jane wouldn't work, right? Yeah. For that kind of reason you were talking about. Well, there are books called Calamity Jane that are nonfiction. Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's the other issue. Because yeah. that's the kind of weird thing about a title, too. Uh, I mean, a title, especially a book title, uh, it is in this kind of weird position where, uh, one hand, you know, you want a title that's artistically makes sense somehow. Uh, on the other hand, it's effectively a marketing concern. And, and that's why, of course, publishers, as you kind of alluded to before, like, Publishers usually reserve, and this is something that author like this is something that students are often really surprised to learn, is that it's a standard clause in a publishing contract to give control of the title to the publisher, hmm. uh, and that is usually like depending on the size of the publisher and so on, it's a marketing department decision like what title this book has. It is and it isn't. It would be pretty unusual for the publisher to, to actively fight. Um, True. But yeah. if we get down to the paper, I mean, they can, right? They can take the title away from you. Uh, which sure. is not standard. I wanted to call it Rita Parsons, for example. Right? Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, as you say, it doesn't normally occur. Like, I've never had an argument about a title with a publisher, for example. Um, yeah. At... Best, the, the one sort of back and forth I had with the title was for the, the anthology I did recently. They wanted the words an anthology in the subtitle, sure. which makes sense. I just never occurred to me <laughs> that you yeah. put an anthology. But, of course, you know, how do you know it's an anthology? Uh, so I that know. makes sense. But, I mean, that, that's I such know, a It has that feeling of, like, am I supposed to put a book down there, well, They'll yeah. often put a novel on the cover or, a, you know, sure. whatever. Stories. Sure. Sure. Stories. Yeah, which again, you know, sometimes an author cares about it, sometimes an author doesn't care about it. But uh, you, you are in this weird position of trying to write something that satisfies these multiple audiences. And it's also for, like the title is for the person who read the book and it's for yeah. the person who hasn't read the book. Uh, you know, in, in a different sort of way, like the last chapter is not for the person who hasn't read the book. You know, like it's a different yeah. type of writing in a sense. 
Um, but let's just look at the Strindberg book for a second. So one of the things okay. about the Semiconduction Dictionary is you've got the subtitle here, R. Strindberg, and you put the yeah. subtitle. So one is the subtitle, uh, and two, it's in brackets. Yeah. Um, so I want you to just talk a bit about, one, the experience, like putting a subtitle in there. Like, So you had this title, the Semiconduction Dictionary. You wanted it to refer to this book. Yeah. So one, why the subtitle? And two, why in brackets rather than, you know, the colon, the, the typical subtitle Version. Well, because it makes the um, it makes Strindberg the semiconducting dictionary by putting it in brackets, as opposed to um, uh, creating it as one sentence or something like that. Sure. It has a kind of funny to the side effect, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> um, and the book itself has a kind of has a, that kind of. Uh, you think you're talking about Strindberg, but maybe you're really talking. <laughs> you know, it's me as Strindberg. Yeah. Um, but so there's that. I think that I also wanted it searchable so that if somebody was looking up works on Strindberg, this would come up. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's another thing people don't think about. But, you know, these titles are the way people find the books, especially yeah. now that you're, as you're, you're online, you're finding books. Uh, you know, by searching, as you say, you know, if you want to book on poems about Strindberg, if the book doesn't have poems, Strindberg, I mean, it's very hard to find that thing. Well, the title is one of the most privileges, privileged places in the book, right? It's one of the few parts of the book that has a life of its own, that will be found and seen and known on its own. And there are lists of world's best titles, and people may never read the books, but they know these, these incredible titles, right? Yeah. Um, and the title's job is to set a tone. It's to make the book um, uh, appealing to the, to the correct reader so that, uh, you know, making people, you know, you're not missing the person that you want to find, and it's so hard to find readers. Uh, the title is, you know, it's necessary that it be remembered because unless you just think that they're going to click it every time the first time they see it, right? Um, but even then, you want it to be something that, that would be, make somebody curious to find out more about it. But the title is like, is the, probably with the, with the opening lines, um, one of the most important parts of, of, of kind of grabbing the reader. Yeah. In, the, in those initial phases. Because what do you do? Even if, even if you encounter the book just on a table, you see the cover. Well, the writer has very little control over the cover most of the time. Um, you see the cover. You see the title. You open it. You read the first couple of lines. Right? And it's also part of the cover, like typically. Yes. Like, I yeah. can pull up books that don't have the title on the cover, but I mean, normally it's part of the cover. So as you say, I mean, get the cover. It doesn't have a title on the cover. Sorry. I'd like to see you pull off. Fiorentino's last book of short stories doesn't. Uh, oh, okay. So I was talking to him about that at one point, and he had mentioned that it's on the spine. Yeah. His argument was, you know, the cover people just people never see the cover anymore unless they're mm -hmm. online, and on you know on the cover sure. you just have you know no like nobody can pay to have your cover your book out like this in the store anymore. That's right. So if it's on the spine. Uh, that's really what you see in the store. Online, you have the text beside it. So who cares sure. if it's on the cover? So I, like, so he had, a, I guess, an argument uh, with the publisher and won the argument. Uh, and um, so that's one I can think of. And I, I know I've seen others, but 
Um, it's unusual, though. It's unusual. And, and so in terms of, like, again, as you say, like, what do you – like, those are the two things that typically – whether they're consulting you or not, the publishers reserve the rights of is like cover, the title and the cover. Yeah. Like, like I've been very lucky. I've always gotten what I wanted on the cover. Yeah. And I've been asked what I wanted. Uh, and I've always gotten the title that I wanted, and, which, as you say, is it's more normal to have you know, control of that. And you, of course, always have control because you can always back out <laughs> in a sense. Yes. But, yeah. um, but, but in terms of the words you write that appear on the cover, I mean, those are the words. Uh, so it, it is interesting I've always had control in that I've had that kind of ability to say, say no, right? Mm -hmm. And certainly most of the time we'll go through several covers before we find a cover that, that, uh, that I'm okay with because usually I have the battle of like, please no half naked headless women, (laughs) anything else. And then I get a choice of like three different half naked headless women and I'm like, well, the blue one. (laughs) That's not true. That only happened once. (laughs) That happened with Mackerel Sky. But um, uh, otherwise, my experience with, was fantastic with Mackerel Sky. But yeah, I think that um, that writers often think that they have complete control over every part of the book and its marketing, and yeah. and you just don't. Like you, you have um, uh, you have the ability to suggest and to bring things in, yeah. and um, and that's about it, right? Well, I like to tell people, like, you have different levels of control depending on how reasonable you are. Yes. And how nice you are. And well, also if you how good you are. Like, at, for example, picking a cover. Yeah. Like well, I, you, brought them, you brought them really striking images that were available. Yeah. I, like, I was, in every instance, I, I've been lucky, except for the anthology, which was a different process. But, but in every instance for my covers, um, either there was a, you know, basically I was asked, what do you want to cover? And I said this, and they said, yeah. great. I had a bit of back and forth with Politics of Knives with Alana, where she was kind of against the cover that I wanted. Um, and I basically said, well, you know, you can, you're in charge. Uh, like, I wasn't going to push on it, but I said, you know, this is the thing I want. This is why I want it. She was worried. The cover of the Politics of Knives has, uh, just for people who haven't seen it, it's a bunch of butterflies being nailed to the wall. Yeah. Her objection was, it seems a little unsubtle. <laughs> and my point was, well, it's absolutely unsubtle. Yeah. Uh, and so I just want it to be as unsubtle as possible. Uh, and so she came around to agreeing with me and deciding that she liked the cover better than the other mm-hmm. options. But, I mean, I wasn't being, I wasn't pushing on it. In a in a way, yeah. I was just making you know my my preferences clear, uh, you know, and, and but it's it's a it's, it is a thing where you know you get more control the more you actually you know can do it because a lot of authors have no idea. Yeah, what yeah. If you bring in a um, a picture that is available that they that yeah. they can work with, um, and the other the other problem is that authors are not necessarily good designers, right? So. I remember I brought in a series of photos that I loved that were, this is for the semiconducting dictionary. Um, but they were, they were images of, of an artist's work. And they were these kind of pinhole cameras that were made out of books. And so the books themselves were carved. Well, the problem is that they were very text heavy. 
right? So it was going to be difficult as a design um, to use for design because it already had a lot of text on it. Sure. So it just wasn't, you know, it was, they were great images, but it wasn't a good idea for the book. And then they came in with something that uh, there was different, a different cover that I didn't like. And I was like, well, why don't you just put like clouds on it and a mustache? And they did that. It's great. <laughs> I like it's it. Great <laughs> yeah. But again, in terms of the title, like, you know, let's, you, this is the thing you really have more control over. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, getting back to Michael Sky, like, I don't, I have this version of it. I think there's yeah. another. Like, there's my headless half naked woman. Thing. Yes. So, but, but Mackerel Sky. So like, let's get back to, you know, titles maybe for a second. So how did yeah. you kind of get into that title? What was your process for coming up with it? Because it's a very different type of title. It's much more, I mean, it's a, it's a clear image in yeah. a sense. It's much more imagistic and it has less obvious connection to the content. It's not like, you well, know, Strindberg. A title like that, then I then I would have control over the cover image because of course you would choose to put a mackerel sky on, right? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, which happened in the states but didn't really happen here. Um, mackerel sky, well, is um, it's a kind of of uh, phenomenon where you see mackerel banding as those kind of like ribbed clouds, right? And when you see that, it means that there's convection in the upper atmosphere and that there's going to be some shift in the weather. Usually it means a storm of some kind. Um, and so I thought, um, here's the story where a man is coming back into his daughter's life, the daughter that he's never met, um, and re-encountering this, this woman who seduced him when he was 17 and she was in her 20s. And there, it turns out they're all counterfeiters up in the upper Laurentians, right? And so everybody's... Um, Everybody's lives are about to change because of this person coming back. Um, and he kind of gets right in the middle of, of the crime and, and, uh, and that becomes a problem. And so um, I wanted a title that, um, that was very visual uh, because the book is quite visual, um, very influenced by films from the French New Wave. The book is very, very visual. Um, I wanted something that you would read and say, I wonder what that is. And then if nothing else, even if you don't like the book, you figure you probably looked up and found out, well, in reading the book, you'd find out what a macro sky is. And that's a useful piece of information. Right? Sure. So. so maybe just kind of jump, uh, like before we maybe talk more about that, like the other book you've got here is, of course, this, a poetry, another poetry book, uh, yeah. a More Tender Ocean. So again, it's a much more of a kind of imagistic or metaphorical, like clearly metaphorical title than maybe some of the others, other than semiconducting dictionary, which has a sort of disconnection. But I mean, it operates like a metaphor, basically. Yeah. Um, so maybe, what was the process of this uh, title? And uh, that title again. Now you're doing a poetry book. So this is your first poetry book, a different genre, uh, as well. Like that make a difference in terms of the type title you wanted to pick. Um. Hold up the cover for a minute there. This is the, you know, you see that image Michael there? Did Michael take this picture or something? It's um, it's actually a photograph that, that by Michael Andache yeah. of uh, koi fish swimming in a pond, but on um, but what you can see is the reflection of all the trees. So yes. it's as if they're swimming through the trees. Um, and the book itself is uh, was part of it was a kind of project that I had where I was experimenting with a surrealist technique that 
I had created, riffing off of other surrealist techniques, where I would take um, books that I didn't, I wasn't very familiar with, and I would look at the page quickly, and then I would write the poem that I thought I saw there. And eventually I was working with like multiple poems at once, or poems that weren't in English, but surprise, the poem that I saw was always in English, right? And then, so that generated, I don't know, some 300 some odd poems, um, and they were automatic poems. Um, and uh, then that was kind of winnowed down to, the, to whatever 80 representative pages of, of pretty tender material, and all of which, in a way, is reflecting on the works of other writers. Um, but reflecting on them with, a, I think, a great deal of tenderness. And so I think that the, the title is kind of, uh, you know, I was going through a phase where I was deeply in love with surrealist work, but not in love with the kind of insider-outsider politics of, of the surrealists themselves and certainly of the poetry world. And so it was a kind of profession of this is what I would prefer. Right. Sure. And so this is another book where you've actually got like, again, one of the poems is called A More Tender Ocean. So. But that was after. But that was after. Yeah. So, so that's what I was going to ask you. So you <laughs> yeah. cheated and like wrote this title later. Were yeah. Were you writing right. all the poem titles I afterwards? evidence after the fact. <laughs> what? Were you writing all the poem titles after you drafted the poems? Uh, or was that part of the, did it just depend on the poem itself? Like when you're doing I, that surrealistic process, are you writing the titles at the same time? No, I don't think I, I mean, I might have done that some of the time, but sure. I don't think so, because I would be sitting there writing, um, because it was automatic writing, I would do, you know, um, ten or so poems, out of which maybe one I liked, or part of one I liked, or something like that. Sure. Um, so, the, the titles were really very much applied later. Sometimes they were there just to remind me of of which book it was that I was reading, so that I can sort of say, okay, well, this this was a reflection on Paz doing this, right? Or this was a reflection on um, on this other thing. But then that became like when when I lined up all the poems, that became annoying. Like when you're looking at a book, you don't really want to see these kind of uh, this this obvious code that is not for you, right? Sure. So. So when you were coming up with that title then, was yeah. it a surrealistic technique to get the title or are you just sitting there, you know, generating a title in the sort of normal way? In a much more normal way. It was like, what is my issue with this thing that I love? I love surrealism. What is my issue with it? My issue with it, I think, was that it, um, that... It wasn't a tender enough ocean? wasn't a tender enough ocean. Yeah, it was a little dehumanizing um, for its own participants at different points in time. So, for example, I'm particularly fond of Antony Artaud, and I, I find it, you know, heinous that he could be thrown out of, uh, of surrealism. Um, or this sort of like this necessity to join the Communist Party or something like that. These things that seem to me to be, to be unnecessarily um, demanding Sure. Uh, when there was supposed to be some sort of community being built. Yeah, and is and explicitly opposed to surrealist ideas. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Know, by which civilization and you know, society is this imposition. Um, I mean, they're very, 
willingly. Coming back, coming back to titles for a second. So, um, is there one of these techniques that you find, like, you, you've gone through like a bunch of different types of books. You've got a lot of different types of titles. You've got different ways of generating the titles. Um, what do you think is specific? Like, what is it in a book that you will? Is there a thing that you'll find yourself seizing on when you start when it comes time to really settle on a title? Uh, does it just depend, or is there some you know thing that, like, how do you know when you've got something? Uh, I, it's a kind of a vague question, but I guess the question I have is sort of you know, again you know here's a book with like eighty or so possible titles. Titles, yeah, um, sure. You know, you you could seize on any one of them, or you could just not have any of them as a title. For me, the title has to be something, when I can see the whole book through it, then I know that that's a good title. When the, when the title itself becomes a way for me to explain the book, then that's, that's a title that works. Um, it has to be a kind of like, a kind of articulation of some something that I got out of producing the book at that point in time some kind of purpose that I had. So is it always after the fact for you? Like, uh, you know, is there ever a point, maybe for a book or, or even a story or something, where you really had a title and you didn't have anything for it? Yeah. So that kind of is a case of semiconductor dictionary, you know, when you kind of start attaching it to this. It's not like you were using it as a working title and then you devised mm. a book for it. Like, have you ever worked that reverse direction where you really have a title but nothing else? Yeah, I had a short story called The Proud Selenographer, um, where I had this title and I had to figure out some characters that might come out of that title. And um, I had another, um, let's see, oh, The Trouble with Killing Someone You Know was another, right? It was one of my favorite titles in that whole book. Uh, And um, so that was something you had, that title, and you were... Yeah, I had this title, like, The Trouble with Killing Someone You Know. And I'm sure, like, mm-hmm. you know, that was some kind of line that came up in a silly conversation with somebody. And uh, and then I thought, well, what, you know, what kind of characters would work for this, right? And so it becomes a story about trying to kill somebody, but, you know, not being a killer. And so, like, messing it up over and over again and having to go back in and try again a different way, so. Sure, that, that's a really great story, but... Um... That title, it just has a certain, I don't know, it just grabs you. In a, and I think it has a good similar, rhythm. It's similar to how I came to haunt my parents in a sense. Like it's almost explanatory. But of course, the story itself is not. Um, you know, yeah. But it's almost like a, the kind of like a magazine article title. Uh, you know, there's this nice clash between, uh, in, that, in those cases, like this nice clash between the stories and the titles. So when is that clash something you think is useful or interesting? Does that way you have maybe some what disconnect? What it seems like when it starts to feel like a conversation between, um, that the reader has jumped in the middle of, right? And so now they want to know what the whole context is. Um, because the trouble with killing someone you know is, uh, it's almost like a starting point for a conversation. Sure. Yeah. And it almost um, seems funny, but the story is not. I mean, it has certain moments of humor yeah, I guess you'd say like kind of a black humor, but um, I mean, it is interesting how on one hand it is the opposite of what you were talking about before, where the tone 
is off. Like it's, it's yeah. off tone, but it, but it still really works. Uh, where, where else maybe would you direct somebody uh, to look or um, like to do if they were really having a hard time with a title? So they've got an existing work. Let's just say a couple of different scenarios. So you say you've got an existing you look, work. You look for things like um, best lines, key images. Um, are there like, what were you uh, reading or thinking about or watching while you were working on it? Um, if it's a historical thing, sometimes it's, you know, they're great nicknames. Like I'm working on a pirate book right now. And at the moment, the working title is Back from the Dead Red and the Jaguar Child, right? And that's because there are two really fabulous nicknames that can potentially be used there. Um, that's also you look at... Just Sorry, you know, that's also a title where you've got um, this action genre, like it's kind of action adventure genre that has certain types of titles. So yeah. it kind of is a title that is like, it fits the genre, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah. To what degree do you feel like that? has a speed to it too. You want the title to have a similar kind of tone and speed to mm. to the text, right? So um, it that you know, back from the dead red and the jaguar child is a kind of a, a speedy title where you can imagine the kind of like um, sword fights and such that that might be happening. It also has a kind of contemporary feel, kind of like contemporary North American fiction feel. Um, and it's a title that provokes questions, like who are these who are these two figures? So I think that a title that provokes questions is always good. Um, and with the politics of knives, exactly right. You're like, well, what are the politics of knives? Right? Do they have politics? Like I often will just come up with a good phrase or word or, yeah. or something, uh, and I'll just try to think through. Well, what could that be a title for? And I'll, I'll generate ideas that way, um, which I, I've heard some people do and other people don't, but, you know, I've always found that to be like a useful process. You know, you get some sort of phrase you like and you just kind of keep thinking through, well, what would it mean? Mm. Um, or, you know, you know, what does politics and eyes mean? I mean, I just started thinking, well, you know, you've got assassination uh, as an obvious sort of metaphor in there. I started thinking about censorship, uh, the kind of cutting of uh, things. I mean, eventually I get this text where you've got, you know, all these words are blacked out. You know, like for me, it's a very analytical process, but um, I know for a lot of people, it's it's not about that at all. Uh, it's more about, you know, yeah, trying to hit a tone or a, uh, have an image that has some sort of broader resonance. Like Michael Scott's a nice example there. You know, you've got this really, you know, nice core image that really connects to things and starts to summarize in some ways what's going on in that book. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it doesn't have a literalness to it, even though it's kind of operating. Um, I mean, it has a literal meaning. There is such a thing as a mackerel sky. It doesn't mm -hmm. have a literal meaning in relationship to the um, to the to the text. Yeah, like as you say, there actually is. You know, that's a phrase from somewhere um, that you're kind of utilizing in, in a particular way. Uh, were you worried at any point like that about that, like about it being a phrase from somewhere? Does that make sense? No. No, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to a semiconducting dictionary. Like, where did you get that title then? You're saying you had kind of had that title basically before you attached to the book. But where did the title itself come from? Do you remember? Um, it's, it's a title. The title refers to kind of... Uh, like, when you had that phrase, do you remember, like, getting that phrase? 
Yeah, it, it was me talking about what I thought a book should be, what a book should do, right? A book should be a kind of world into itself that explains itself um, and that um, is kind of self-powered, um, but that changes depending on the person interacting with it. And so um, I try for books, I try to um, to subvert my authority in different ways as a as a writer, so that the reader has a lot of room to read, uh, read themselves into the books. That's a nice uh, summary of what a title should be, really, as well. You know, like, yeah. I, I can see a title as a semiconducting dictionary, and, and hmm, the same yeah. sense. it's interesting. Uh, I just want to ask you a couple questions before I let you go about this uh, this new book title that you've come up. So you're writing a book you're calling "Back from the Dead: Red and the Jaguar Child." So that's your yeah. you know title now. Uh, at what point, what would have to happen for that, for you to abandon that title? Like, I like that title a lot, but, uh, I mean, what would have to happen for you to decide it's not a good title? Well, I mean, a whole bunch of different things can happen. In the process of writing the book, you can discover that um, that you don't like the um, the reference to Jaguar children, which is a kind of, it's a, it's um, a nasty way that in the 16th century um, people were superstitious and felt that children with Down syndrome were uh, were Jaguar children. Um, you know that you may find that you feel that I may find that I don't feel that that can be redeemed after all. Um, my publisher may say uh, no, that's not good enough. Somebody else might come out with a book called Back from the Dead Red and the, you know, Porta Potty right? <laughs> or something like that. You, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you think is so impossible, but it wasn't long ago that somebody in the, I think in the States, came out with a novel and it was called uh, By Grand Central Station, I Sat Down and Cried. Yeah. And I'm it's like, ridiculous. how can you not know that By Grand Central Station, I Sat Down and Wept is a famous Canadian book, right? So... One hopes they didn't know <laughs> because yeah. it's a terrible title. Like that's the thing is wept yeah. and is great. Cried is terrible. Yeah. And it, it's hard to kind of explain that sometimes like to somebody, but it, it's true. Yeah. Like it destroys the title to use cried rather than wept. It's just, they it's also don't... just too close. Right. Well, it seems like either they know of the smart book, but they don't know the biblical reference. Yeah. Or they have somehow screwed up the biblical reference, but don't know the smart book, or, or there's some other just randomness that caught in their brain and they unconsciously pulled it up without knowing what it was. Yeah, but it, there's just so many things that can go wrong. Like one word can throw it off, or or one word can save it, like in Calamity's Wake, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see, like, you know, whether you keep that title. I mean, it's such a great sounding title, but as you say, like, there's so many. You're still writing the book, so yeah. it's hard to say. I mean, I, I had the reverse thing, right, with Clockfire. I thought it was a terrible title. It's you know garbage. Then if you just take the hyphen out and put it as one word, it's, it's perfect. It's Whereas genius. with Ex Machina, I really you know love that title. I was into it and all these justifications and why I liked yeah. it. I still like it, but it has caused me some problems that there's a comic book series called Ex Machina. Oh, yeah, yeah. And people, and I, I've seen a lot of, like instances where that's been a, an issue um and you know i've gotten uh, i mean you get it with i get it with my name even like jonathan ball yeah. 
you know, there's a famous John Ball who wrote In the Heat of the Night. And so uh, never mind, like, people, Jonathan Ball publishers in Zaire or something. Yeah. I get their mail half the time, you know. Uh, like, I'm not going to change my name for that reason, but it is one reason why well, I Emily use Schultz Jonathan that, rather than John. Emily Schultz had that happen quite famously recently with the Stephen King book coming out, yeah. Joyland. Right, and her book, Joyland, was out several years ago. So what you've got to do is cash the checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I haven't had any problems where I've got too many checks coming in, but uh, I'm really hoping like maybe ex machina that'll happen. Like that'll become a movie or something. People start buying my book. Maybe what you need to start doing is deliberately choosing the same title yeah. as this John Ball. I, I used to joke all the time. I, I my joke always with Coach House is you know I did I've done two books with them and both times I'm sure they either didn't notice it or got sick of it. But you know, both times you know, when when they kind of were showing me the proof of the cover mm-hmm. and saying, you know, "Is there anything else you know we should do? Does this look good?" My comment in both instances was, "I think you should change the name to Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe put a V in there, you know, just in case if there's a legal issue." Yeah, you know that probably would help. Yeah, but, well, just put like Stephen King and then put uh, Jonathan Ball in, like in Stephen King's Jonathan Ball. <laughs> <laughs> something like that by the time they sue me it'll still have I'll have made enough money yeah I'm not even sure that he would he might find it very entertaining <laughs> you never know uh, well thanks very much Natalie uh, for this and uh, you know uh, again it's one of the things that people ask me constantly is like how do you come up with titles and you know in some way there's not a good answer because it's so specific to the thing that they're doing uh, but I think it does help to kind of like walk through the process and to see the different options and um, you know, they'll see the, like the real world sort of scenarios of why you would do this or why you would do that. And, yeah. Um, and, and, and just to note that things can shift and change because uh, sometimes I feel with writing, a lot of times people fix it in their mind. Yeah. Uh, and you sometimes have to do tricks to get yourself out of uh, feeling married to the thing that you, you've done. And uh, sometimes just switching the title can do that. Uh, you know, other times there's extreme sort of cases. Like I sometimes, when I edit, I'll print things off and retype them. Uh, yeah. Just so I don't feel bound to the text that's on the screen. Um, you know, other people don't have that problem maybe, but I, I feel like there's certain things you can do to kind of make the thing seem like it's more in progress or more done. Yeah. Uh, depending on what you need. And the title certainly really plays into that. Because it is a weight. When you've got a title, I don't know how you feel about it, but like, anytime I've ever hit on a title that I thought was really great, it feels, it's like a glorious moment. You know, it's like one of the few, <laughs> you know, really, you know, exciting moments in, you know, what is otherwise usually a, a slog for me. Yeah. Well, I had my moment when I wrote how, you know, how I came to haunt my parents. I knew mm-hmm. that my parents would read that book. <laughs> <laughs> So, and it was funny because they, for some reason, they were Googling, my mother was Googling herself online, and the title came up, and I hadn't talked about it yet, and they were like, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks very much. Uh, I'll okay. uh, let you go with that. I really appreciate it. Uh, Natalie Capel, I wish there was a bunch of people here who could clap for you, but uh, yeah. so I'll just Thank continue to the clap there. <laughs> right. Thanks. Bye. So thank you to Natalie Cable, and thank you for listening. Uh, if you want the show notes for this episode and links to Natalie's books and uh, so on, go to jonathanball.com slash seven. Again, that's jonathanball.com slash seven. 
uh, that's going to give you you know all sorts of links and there's also a video uh that accompanies this so you know a video of us talking on skype uh, so you can check that out um check out natalie capel's uh, work it's some really phenomenal work she's doing some really fascinating interesting stuff um, i especially as i said remember recommend uh, in calamity's wake and how i came to haunt my parents uh, and of course her new uh, poetry book love in the cthulhu scene so um thanks very much for listening uh, and if you would like to help this podcast out, if you're enjoying it, uh, there's a number of things you can do. Uh, the absolute best thing you could do is to go to my Patreon page, which is just patreon.com slash Jonathan Ball, uh, and you'll contribute and help uh, for this podcast um, and you know all my web stuff. You know, I, I lose money consistently online. Uh, I have not... I'm no like big fancy online internet marketer. I know what people think I am and you know, because I do make some money, you know, being online and doing things. Um, but really I spend so much money providing this stuff. It, it does help quite a lot um, when people support the work that I do creatively, uh, but also of course things like this podcast. So uh, if you have it in your heart, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Ball. Um, or just, you know, click the subscribe button, uh, write a review, you know, give it a rating. Anything that helps people find this podcast is great. Um, uh, thanks very much for your listening and thanks for your time. And thank you to Natalie Cable. Uh, have a great day and keep writing the wrong way.